crowdfunding is a full-time gig for that month that you are raising. It is 40, 50 hours a week of hard solicitation. Hi, and welcome Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for everyone who wants to learn more about making television and film in the entertainment industry. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the nuts and bolts of film financing, and we're going to touch on distribution. Okay, I've got a lot of DMs on, you know, how do you get your independent film financed? You know, what paths are there to accomplish this? Yes, you could definitely go through the studio, have an agent or a manager get you a pitch meeting, pitch at a studio, one of the big studios such as Sony or Disney, one of those, or a studio that has a deal with one of those studios. So that's one one way of, of getting your film finance. And everyone knows that way, right? That's the hard way to get in to be able to pitch to them. But then you have the mom and pop way, right? Where you're maxing out your credit cards, where you're asking mom, dad, grandma, grandpa to give you money so that you can make your $50,000, $30,000, $150,000 film. Or you're tapping in and looking at crowdfunding and raising money to do crowdfunding. But there's a lot of other ways that people don't really talk about on getting your film finance. And I want to touch and educate you on all the listeners that have sent me DMs on how do I get my independent film funded. So let's hold on tight. Let's, you know, talk about what that really means. First of all, most of the people listening in may or may not realize, you know, some of these definitions, some of these common definitions in funding for films, one of which is equity, right? So equity is real money. And this is when investments are made into a project, i.e. your film, by a single investor or a group of investors or your family or friends. It's also called private money and it requires the investor usually to take a stake in the film. So what is a normal um, structure that's out there that we go ahead and, and make contracts on is a structure that typically pays the principal investment back plus 20%. So if you go to a group of investors or you're going to a one single investor and they're investing in your film, you're going to pay their investment back once you get distribution plus 20%. And then they're going to have a lifelong split with you up to 50%. Now you could cap that split saying, well, you only get the split for the first 10 years or you only get the split for the first 15 years or the first five years and then after that you're done. But usually, typically, it is a principal investment back returned once you get distribution plus 20% and then up to a 50-50 split 
with the what's called points or back-end participation or the remaining percentage that comes in or money coming in from a distribution sale, okay? And often people get confused with this type of typical deal. Now, there are loans that you can secure out there for film and you can Google different places. Be really thorough in your research because some are scams and some are real loans for making a film. Now that differs. You know, a loan comes with a lower risk as long as the loan is secured and has collateral backing it. And the borrower is obligated to repay the loan and the interest back to the credit card. So think uh, if you are going to go off and get a whatever car loan, right? You are securing that loan with the actual vehicle, right? Once you pay off that loan, the vehicle is yours. Kind of works that loan concept uh, where you have a percentage that you're borrowing works similar in film financing. Okay, but the creditor, on the other hand, does not see any revenue except from the interest paid, okay? Now, some people who are loaning out for entertainment, making films, will want to secure that loan against the actual film. Okay, so that's the collateral. But if you haven't done any films and you're a first-time filmmaker, this may be hard because you don't have any track record to show them, hey, um, not only you know, will this be a quality product that can be you know, bought and sold on an OTT network that's an over-the-top OTT network or a streaming network like Netflix or a cable company like HBO or distributed for Redbox or internationally at television stations who buy product. They may want something else. So if you have additional collateral like a house, they may want you to back the loan of your film using your house as additional collateral uh, along with the what's called IP rights of the film, the intellectual property rights of the film. Okay, you following? I hope you guys are. (laughs) Okay, another way of looking at how to get money to make your film is resale agreements. And they're made with distributors before the film is produced. Now, the project will usually be valued by a distribution company based on the script and the attachment and the talent and the crew. And some distribution companies out there, not a lot, but there are a handful of distribution companies that are either forming or have a production arm that handles this pre-sales making of the films that they like, or some will actually make pre-sale agreements. And these pre-sale agreements really um, are based on the quality and strength of your film. So let's say you're doing a genre specific film. Let's say you're doing a horror film and you have a credible 
established actor in one of those parts, but the rest are, let's say, no name. Let's say you wrote the script, but yet you're bringing in maybe a director who's done two or three horror films that have achieved distribution, and you're bringing that director as a a part of that package. Now it becomes more lucrative and interesting for that distribution company to potentially look at it for pre-sales because you have a established director who has achieved uh, success in that genre. They've achieved distribution. You have a a known actor attached, so there's some credibility uh, because it's a known you know, A minus, B plus, C level, you know, actor. And this is a possibility for you to approach distribution companies looking for potential pre-sales. Okay, another one is gap financing. Okay, so in motion pictures, gap and super gap financing is a form of financing where the producer wishes to complete their film financing package by securing a loan that is secured against the film's unsold territories and rights, okay? So some gap finance financiers will only lend against the value of the unsold foreign rights. And the value is decided based off of the quality of the script, cast, genre, director, producer, as well as, you know, whether it... Uh, is going to have theatrical distribution in the U.S. from a distribution company, from a theater chain. Generally, gap or super gap loans are recouped after the first production loan is recouped. So you can say it's on, it's in second place of the hierarchy of giving money back. Gap or the super gap loan will be recouped before any equity financiers investment is recouped. All right. And so gap financing is really interesting because let's say you have approached distribution companies. Let's say you have an investor that's given you some money, but you want a little bit more in that budget to flesh out what your overall budget is supposed to be. But you have a whole bunch of unsold foreign territories. Well, again, you know, if you have an actor or you've got a genre specific film that's got some really good elements to it, then you might look at gap financing to try and utilize that money from those unsold territories worldwide. Bridge financing is kind of the answer to the problem of needing the funding to get the actors, but not getting the funding without the actors. And bridge financing can be used in scenarios where a filmmaker has, let's say, a letter of intent from an investor to finance a film, provided that the filmmaker can attach an approved actor. So let's look at that. So let's say you're reaching out and you get a referral to some guy, gal, person that has money that's interested in funding your film, but they say, listen, in order to to fund your film, we want you to secure this type of an actor, this level of actor. And they give you, let's say, five names, you know, get any one of those five names attached and, you know, we will fund this 
project, right? But you can't go to the agent of that actor because you've got no money in the bank. Maybe you don't have any credibility in a as a produced writer, produced director, produced producer. So you've got to get some sort of money in the bank to make the offer to the agent of the actor in order for this to trigger that financing. So in this instance, a short-term lender can provide a bridge loan to secure the actor with the note as collateral, the note from that investor. And once the actor's payment is in an escrow account, then the equity investment, right, from that equity investor can be triggered and then the bridge loan is then paid back with interest, right? Because it's a loan. So you've always had, you always have the principal of the loan and then you've got the interest that has to be paid back. So that's another way. Another thing that isn't really used a lot or really looked at with a lot of credibility sometimes by the independents. The studios use this all the time. The mini majors use this all the time. The production companies use this all the time. But sometimes the young filmmaker doesn't really grasp the power of tax incentives, rebates, and tax credits. Now, we all know there's a bunch of tax credits that are available in Canada and in the different provinces of Canada. Some may realize that there's tax credits here in the United States. There are tax credits in Europe, Ireland, UK, Spain, you know, name a country and it most likely has some sort of a tax incentive, a rebate or a credit. So what are they? Well, tax incentives are really a huge part of the film Productions a way of bringing in, securing, getting money back in a production that's filmed in an area or a country other than California. Now, recently, California said, oh, hey, we, we want to keep productions here. We want to give a lot of incentives here. But the problem is California is not really helping the independent filmmaker. Not at all. Because the minimum you have to have in a budget to even qualify for the tax incentives here in California is a million dollars. And that's just unrealistic for the independent filmmakers because the independent filmmakers usually have budgets of 50,000, 150,000, 300,000. You know, they're not topping out at, at a minimal minimum floor of a million dollars, right? So these individual states, let's say Georgia, let's say North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Texas, just to name a few, have the ability for you to utilize these tax incentives. Now you have to investigate which one really serves your budget. And if you can look at your script and evaluate your script saying, it's shot in an urban area. Does it have to be an urban area like downtown Los Angeles? Can it be an urban area? Can we double it for Chicago? Can we shoot in Chicago instead of New York? Because Chicago's got better tax incentives. So you have to look at your script and say, where can I double it that maybe has better tax incentives than shooting it here in California that honestly really isn't set up for the independent. It's set up to enhance the studios because the studios are really here in uh, Los Angeles and in Hollywood. 
So tax incentives require the producer to hire a certain amount of local crew and employees and use local vendors and hotels and services. The drawback is that the tax incentives are almost based on the application process and the application process is sometimes lengthy. So you're going to have a lot of paperwork with this, but if you stick it through, then what happens is it yields you the ability to access those tax incentives in that state. So it can be a very good thing. Now, there's other components of film financing that people don't really often talk about, and it's glossed over. But let's look at prints and advertising is really the marketing aspect of once you make the film. So a lot of independent filmmakers get to the point where they have $150,000, they get the whole thing in the can, so to speak, or the DCP, which is the computer hard drive that everything is housed on. So they get everything finished, right? And then they don't have any money to solicit this to the markets, the film markets, which is like a big convention of buying and selling films. They also don't have money for marketing and going through the film festival circuit. So that's a huge component because by screening at the film festivals, you get laurels, you get credibility that you were, your film was valued enough for it to be screened by a third uh, party entity that, that looked at your film and said, Hey, we really like this. Right? So a lot of independents get the money to make everything, but then They don't have any money for prints and advertising. They don't have any money for the marketing aspect. They don't have any money to uh, buy ads on social media, to get likes on their trailer, to start building up their credibility on this film, the, the, the heat on the film, the desire for the public to see the film. And so that's what prints and advertising money is all about. And when you look at prints and advertising money, you can also incorporate that into what is called platform releasing. So let's say you want to really bring in a very good distribution company. So let's say you want to bring in a really good distribution company. Well, what can happen is if you are looking at potentially doing a platform release, the prints and advertising P&A money will help you do that. So let's say you want to release it in a college town like Texas A&M. Let's say you want to release it in San Francisco. Let's say you want to release it in uh, Michigan. Let's say you want to release it in Chicago because it's an urban film and you think there's a lot of draw there. So you pick out three to five cities that you think you want to release this film in and you secure a one week release at a theater, not a big theater, not, you know, an AMC 14, but, you know, a small mom and pop theater or smaller established chain theater. And you screen this there for a week. The advertising money would go to the advertising, the paper advertising, the billboards, the promotion in that city to get people to see that film, the local trailer being on local news, 
etc so that you can establish what your potential box office could be for that film so if you have 10 screenings and all 10 screenings for that week sell out you've got a really good film on your hands because the screenings are selling out but let's say you have 10 screenings and you only sell out 50% of those screenings it's it's still a statistic that you can utilize to spin into your next you know your next city that you're platforming and why do you want to platform so that you can establish what your popularity is of your film in your target market audience that's supposed to be seeing it. So prints and advertising money can help you do that. Be it, usually, if you are bringing in an investor that's just going to give you the money for prints and advertising, they will usually request a 20% return on their investment, which is a loan. So think of it as a loan. They will take a lien against, let's say, all North American revenue once you get a distribution company. So that would be Canada and the U.S. The investors also usually receive a lifetime royalty of between 5 and 10% on all net revenue once uh, it starts selling, your film starts selling to all the rest of the territories and countries. And the order of repayment is the prints and advertising investors are paid off from the top of the proceeds from all the domestic film revenue. They have priority over all the other payments and typically they're repaid within three months following the um, theatrical release or the OTT release or the streaming release, whatever the distribution release strategy might be. And the prints and advertising investors are the last investors to put money in, but they are the first investors to get money out. So think of them as um, sharks. <laughs> so you do have also crowdfunding. So crowdfunding is, is interesting because crowdfunding started about a decade ago and people all said, oh, it's, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And it's really become a huge, huge thing. Now, crowdfunding is really interesting because you can bring money in to make your film or at least give you enough money to start making your film, right? But they don't, the people that are investing or giving you money, these grandmothers and grandfathers, so to speak, or these general people, they're giving you money because they believe in your product. They don't own your product. They're not investors in your product. They don't own a percentage of your film. It is gifted money. And so this gifted money through these crowdfunding sites, and there's many of them, and you can investigate which ones you like better. Some only cash flow once you raise your certain amount. Some will cash flow once you finish your campaign. So you really have to investigate which one is better for you. And you can utilize that money to start making your film. You can also utilize that money to, let's say, create a sizzle reel, that can be shown to investors to bring in money for the larger raise, right? So let's say you utilize a crowdfunding to raise 10,000, 20,000, 5,000, and then you create your sizzle reel. 
and then off of that sizzle reel is where you utilize that to create your investment package that goes out to investors. All right. So don't just discount crowdfunding as something you don't want to do. But I do caution you who are listening in that crowdfunding is a full-time gig for that month that you are raising. It is 40, 50 hours a week of hard solicitation to get that money donated by the people that you're reaching out for. How do you really make it in financing? Okay, so there's a lot of scams. And for a lot of young filmmakers, a lot of young producers, there's a lot of scams out there. You'll see things that look too good to be true. Well, that's because they are too good to be true. You will see things out there that say, give us you know, $10,000 and we'll give you $50,000 because you're investing in this blah, 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 whatever. And then you use that $50,000 to make your film. That is a scam, 100% scam. If when you are reaching out, these people are legit, then they will have a contract and they will be able to intelligently talk to you about how their financing works. Before signing anything, anything, make sure you have an entertainment attorney look at the documents to make sure that they are legitimate. Do not sign anything that your attorney advises you not to sign. And what are the prices for entertainment attorneys? Well, it really depends on where you are. Here in California, you're looking at an average of $600 an hour. In New York, you know, $600 to $900 an hour, depending. You can find attorneys in Texas and Washington State and Oregon for $150 an hour. So, you know, you can find wherever you are, you can find an entertainment attorney. You just have to look at what their price is per hour to handle reviewing your documents. But do have your documents reviewed. And also, if you don't feel completely comfortable, you know, talk to somebody who is in the entertainment industry, maybe a professor of yours or somebody that you know that's, you know, successfully done a film or financed a film so that they can review those documents. Don't just sign anything because we don't want you to get fleeced. I don't want you to get fleeced. I want you to be smart about how you look at film financing and if it looks too good to be true it probably is now there are internet players who license content and also create content and who are those well that's netflix and amazon and hulu then you have cable companies like effects hbo disney um, which is also a studio they're all studios even the streaming services they're really no different than the broadcast companies, ABC, NBC, CBS, CW, in the terms of how they approach the economics of creating and funding content or purchasing product. The real difference between the streaming OTT platforms, uh, cable companies, and the broadcast companies really is the amount of development of the project and time of development of the project they put into it. 
VOD model and the SVOD model, which is the streaming video on demand or just video on demand, is really the same except for the streaming video on demand is locked down from a certain IP address. Netflix, Amazon, Hulu are examples of that. But let's talk about this distribution, right? So let's say you've gotten your money, you are now into and have and are looking for a distribution company. One of the things that the independent should look at is bringing on a sales agent, a domestic sales agent, a foreign sales agent, an international sales agent, which really is the conduit to your film's distribution outside the country of origin. So if you filmed it here in the U.S., you know, an international sales agent is going to be, you know, handling the international sales of your film outside of the U.S. So once you make your film, that should really be your next step along with working and deciding whether you want to have a platform release, whether you want to go through the festival circuit, which I highly advise, to get your film out there, be seen, be known, so that you can secure a distribution company. And an international sales agent is really that conduit that you guys need to help sell the film to the world. The thing I'd like to caution you about when you're looking for these foreign sales agents or signing a sales agent agreement is they're going to license the right to your film. Then they're going to sub-license that out to a distribution company or to a buyer, and they will take a percentage of your points. They will also ask you for a fee up front. Most of them will. And they will secure that film for a number of years, three years, five years, seven years. Here's the most important piece of advice. Make sure that if they do not sell your film to someone in the first six months, that you have a clause that in the agreement that allows you to take your film back. That there's some sort of a performance clause in that contract that says, hey, you know, if you don't make any sales, you can't just hold on to my film for three or five or seven years. I have to be able to take my film back. And if they don't want to sign that, then walk away. <laughs> because if it's a legit sales agent, then they know that they're going to be able to get some sort of sales or why on earth are they taking your film on, right? In theory, that should be how it operates. It's not always the case, but that's in theory how it should operate. And so when you get to that point, make sure that that contract gives you that out clause. Also look for a sales agent who really believes your film is a good fit with what they do. So if you have a family film or a genre specific, whatever, horror film, then look for a sales agent who sells those types of films. Because if you're, if you have a family film and you're going with a sales agent that, you know, only or primarily does horror film, but really likes your family film, well, most of their buyers 
are in the horror genre because that's the genre they sell. So they may not have solid connections into those that buy family films and it might not be a good fit for you and they may hold on to your film for three, four, five, seven years and you don't sell it and you're scratching your head going, I don't understand. I had a really good sales agent. You know, he sold everything else. Yeah, but the problem is, is that you were in the wrong genre. He, he, he couldn't sell your genre. So don't just get excited and give your film to any old sales agent that, that says, oh, I can sell this for you. You know, do your investigation in uh, the successes that they've had in selling that particular genre. Now, some have a more eclectic um, taste and um, have wider reach and will sell genre specific uh, product and, you know, other more commercial films. And that's okay. Just be aware of who you're getting in bed with, because you're going to be in bed with this person for several years. And if this person is a liar and a thief, well, then you're going to be taken and your film is not going to do well. If they're a thief, well, then you can protect yourself from that by making sure that you don't go in bed with those guys, right? So let's just recap. We've looked at different methods of film financing. We've looked at once you have the film, whether you want to go through the festival circuit, which I suggest, uh, platform release, which is a TBA, whether you want to go down that path, and how you want to show your film at markets, which is like convention for buying and selling film, and then bringing on a sales agent to help sell that. All of these are options, but really what I want to impress is the industry is not kind and they aren't there to help you succeed. They aren't there to even want you to succeed. They are there to buy and sell product. You are a product and the product you make is a product, meaning they are buying and selling your skill to make a product and then they're buying and selling the product itself being the film. Make sure you educate yourself. Go to film school, read books, do your homework and don't get fleeced because you're naive. Make sure that you investigate people, look at you know how they've operated and have a good legal team that you can go to to review the contracts once contracts are received so that you can make intelligent choices. So I hope that this little podcast on money investment for film, funding for film has been interesting to you all. I look forward to getting your DMs and thoughts uh, on Best in Fest. And I'd like to thank all of you guys for, um, you know, following us and liking us on all the platforms. It really means a lot to us. Make sure you pass this podcast off to others if you feel there's friends that can learn from it. We have a lot of really interesting guests with a lot of different perspectives on the film and entertainment industry. And, you know, this is 
really important that you learn and enjoy hearing this podcast because I love doing it for you and I love hearing you know your thoughts and and what you like about the podcast so pass it on to your friends and thank you again for joining Best in Fest. Mm-hmm.